0: I like being up top, so I'm coming up here. Are you okay for that? Woo! Okay. Um, uh, let me pray to you. We're talking, Shane, just a heads up. This might be one of my more loud sermons, all right? We're, we're talking about the power of God today, so I just want to, I don't want you to, and everyone else's ears, to burst. All right. Uh, but here's the deal. God's power is amazing, amen? amen? Amen. Actually, Kendra, I have to say thank you to Kendra who spoke. Did you guys enjoy? I appreciate Kendra when she spoke last. <laughs> I have, I've been, I've been power posing in the Lord, all right? Like, there have been moments where I've been wanting to back down, and I'm not actually like setting like a Superman pose, but like, I'm inside, I'm like, you know what? I'm not backing down. Greater is he that is in me than the one of this world, and I've been stepping into things, so thank you for that. That has been so powerful and huge for me. I, need a, I, was, I was getting to hang out the other night with some of the Praxis crew, um, and we had a fun time, and I do need to bring Zach up here. I know we use Zach a lot, but Zach was my hype man. So where is Zach at? Zach, come on up here just for a second. I'm not gonna freestyle rap for you, which is what he was my hype man for in the past time. Um, but, okay, just hold on one second here. Experiencing the power of God is awesome, but it's also kind of awkward at times. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know, like, like you, you want to pray for someone to be healed, but there's a little sense of stepping out that's really awkward. Uh, there, there's a sense of knowing God can do something, but it, it doesn't feel natural. And I, I, I even feel this beyond just this sermon, but even at Kingswood, if I were to speak into a little bit of our culture, I would say this. There are good boundaries of God to make sure that we stay within what is the heart of what God wants to do for us. But then I would say we've taken it down to these expectations or these awkward boundaries where we have ourselves in this invisible box that we almost don't feel like we can stray outside of that, even within what we know God wants us to, and it feels kind of awkward. Do you you sense what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm talking about? And so I feel like to talk about God's power, um, I don't want to just talk about it. I, I want God's power to come down in this place. I want to experience God's power today. But I need Zach, there's like invisible wall. So I need you to do drop, kick a wall over here. Like, like really, like not just kind of, but like really like kick a wall down. A wall. Yes, like there's an invisible wall, but I need you to like run, kick it. Better than that. This is, this, is, this, is a, this is a cultural thing that's really holding us up. Like this is like the difference between someone being like healed of sickness or not. This is a power awkward boundary that we're not like kick that thing. Kick that. <laughs> All right, um, half convincing, more time. Get over here, get over here, get over here. This, this is literally the difference between someone experiencing God's forgiveness or the difference between someone experiencing God's healing. And there's some of us that aren't crossing over this boundary because it's awkward, even like you're not really going into it. Like kick this like you're angry at this. This needs to be changed. Don't <laughs> be mad. You said to be determined. Be determined. Kick that thing down. Kick it. Ah! Okay, give him a hand. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. I really, I really have been praying because um, I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to myself today, if you allow me that, that mode, because here's the reality of it, and I think you will experience this with me. I... I have seen and experienced God's power in my life in a way that there's no way I can turn back from knowing the reality of him in my life. Amen? And then there's this humble reality that I have not experienced the level of God's power that I know he can do and that he fully wants to do in my life yet. Amen? And it's hard to preach on something that you know is in there, but you know hasn't reached full capacity. Not, not because of anything God's there, not that he's not fully there, but that there's just something that, I, oh, man. And I'm praying that whatever that is for us, that God will do that, and I was in here early this morning. Like, so, and I'm not really a morning person, but I've become a morning person in college. So I was here between six and seven this morning, and I was praying over the sermon. And I really felt like God said, "I'm going to move today. I'm going to do something." And and I'm about, and we're about to step into that. We're we're about to step into God's power. And you need to know that this is a reality that is huge. Francis Chan says, if we're not careful, we could spend our whole lives justifying, never experiencing the full power of God. And let me speak this of your life right now. No matter what the pressure in your life, there is no pressure in your life greater than the power of God. I don't know what your deadlines, your family life are, but God wants to move past a paralysis in your life and say, I know it's awkward and you haven't stepped over there somewhere in your life, but there is much more and you're gonna have to step over that. I like to cliff jump, I like into water not on the ground. You know, you got to make that, you guys get that. But, but there, is, there is a fine line. My, I have a, two daughters now, Leah and Roya. You see them running around. And Roya almost wanted to jump off the, the Life Center high dive. And she was at the edge looking at it, like she was about to go. And then people were like, come on, come on. She got nervous and she didn't go. But there was a, a, a distinct line. You can say a great effort, but did she jump? No, there's a distinct line of jumping or not, and I don't feel like God's power leaves a little room for that. I would say this, as I've been studying God's power, I found this to be true. When you come into an experience of God's power, it either leaves you believing he is God and he is able, or it leaves you still doubting. Which one are you? If you have been around or seen God's power or seen others talk about God's power, in that moment, did it leave you believing God is able and he's God? Or did it leave you still doubting? Because God's power doesn't really leave a lot of room in between. Everyone stand up. All right, we're gonna do this maybe again at the end, but what I want you to do right now is is there that move back to the back of the pew? Step back as much as you can or your seat. Small step, but but I want you to, I, I want you if you're like okay, I, most of us on this page. If you want to experience God's power, I want you to to, to step forward, just to make a small step. But it's like you're, it's not just a small step. This is like you're jumping off a diving board. Okay, so visualize. Some of you like cliffs. Some of you don't visualize, okay, there's water down below. This is at least like a 10-foot drop, all right? you visualizing this thing. This isn't like a a small, oh, I'm just stepping forward. And like, uh, this is, you're, you're jumping off an edge. And if you're ready to go there with me today, I want you to take that step forward with me right now. God, I pray that your power comes down. And I know that it comes down in different ways and forms. And sometimes we overestimate your power and we we want you to do a magic trick for us instead of a miracle. And sometimes, God, we underplay it and we want to downplay it as to you don't do the supernatural. We know both those aren't true. God, speak clearly through your word to us today and allow your power to remain new and fresh in our hearts so that we will step out in the ways that we haven't in the past. In Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's read some passages really quick. I'm just going to run through uh, a few different passages just to give you an idea. Before I go there, coming out of college, I grew up Wesleyan. So I grew up in a Wesleyan church, Wesleyan pastor. My dad was my pastor. I love my pastor, and I love my dad, and I loved Indiana Wesleyan. It is a great school. I love Kingswood, and I'm so glad we're here. Indiana Wesleyan is also a great school within our Wesleyan family. And one of the things that I came out of college still, I I was still sensing this. I almost felt like if I was talking about the Lion and the Lamb of God, that I had gotten really good at, at living out the Lamb of God, but I didn't fully get what the Lion of God looked like. And I almost felt like the Wesleyan Church still had room to improve as to what the Lion looks like in our lives. Not to only experience a sacrificial lamb but the Lion of Judah and the power and the respect of who he is. And we need to see this very clearly. As much as we talk about God's love, we also see very clearly in the New Testament that Jesus and the New Testament apostles say, God and his kingdom come in power. Here we go. Let's read it. Mark 9, 1. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Power, we'll say power out with him when we get there. Next verse: For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of. Power. All right. Next verse: The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. to demolish every stronghold. Next verse: First Corinthians two five: So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's. Power. One more. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's there. It's not just a sub thought. It is, it is there. You are not given a spirit of timidity, of fear, but a spirit of power, of love. And self-discipline. What's that look like to experience God's power in our life? And we're going to go into that. If you're wanting to go there, Mark 2 is where we're at. Mark 2. It's the story of the paralyzed man brought to Jesus. You've heard this. You've heard it maybe as a kid if you grew up with it. The the roof. And we're going to read this together and kind of unpack it for a few minutes. But please be here. I know that this is kind of a lull time. I know it's a snow time. I know that there's a lot going on, but I truly believe that God wants to reveal some new things about his power to you today that you have not seen before. Let's start reading Mark 2, 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached The word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Pause. Paralyzed man. In the culture of the day, there is a little bit of this idea that if you were sick or if there was something going on, that that was directly related to a sin of you or your parents. In this case, this paralyzed man could be ostracized from some of the social circles in the day. He could even have been negated some privileges in the synagogue or temple if he was considered to be someone of sin. So this guy's coming, and he's coming specifically to Jesus in this parable we see. And he can't do it himself because he's paralyzed. So he has four friends bringing him. I got to when I was interviewing people uh, for a, a book that I wrote, and it was just, it was a small book, but as I was writing that, I got to interview, and I've talked to this before, but a blind couple, a married blind couple that had been married for 30 years, both of them blind, one has a master's, one has been a car mechanic for years, like very amazing, accomplished Christians, and I remember talking to them, and it was a small thing, but they, we had a, a three-hour conversation, and it was, it was a passing point, but the wife, when we were talking about Jesus going to a blind man, she, she, she pulled out something I'd never seen before. And I don't know if it was the cr- correct translation of that one, but it sat with me. And she said this, Brent, you see how Jesus goes to the blind man, not in this story, and says, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? He, he kind of asks him. She's like, you see how, how Jesus has a certain amount of dignity or respect for this person? Because so often when we see someone with an ailment, we assume that when they go to Jesus, that's the first thing they need fixed. But what if, what if they really more cared about their spiritual life and their sins? What if they really wanted that person to be praying for their relative? We know that the power of God, of, the power of Jesus has healing on him in this moment. We know that he's probably being brought here to be healed, but we don't know that. He really could have just been wanting to hear Jesus. He could have been wanting to sit at Jesus' feet, but we see a paralyzed man. Oh, he's going to get healed. People... We don't, sometimes we get so caught up in our physical problems that we forget that the most important thing that Jesus always realizes, first and foremost, is the spiritual problem of our souls. So we see this paralyzed man coming to see Jesus. And as we get to this point, it's too crowded, they can't get in. And so culturally, there's different ways, whether it was on another roof, or usually there was a staircase on the side of this, of this house or this building around their hometown. He comes up on top, and either they had to like, kind of pull away some tiles and a little bit of mud, or it was more of a mudgrass roof, and they had to kind of actually dig out to make a hole, all right? So Jesus is teaching, and they all of a sudden, he's in the middle of teaching. All of a sudden, he sees these four men dropping down. This man in front of him. I, I mean, you, you have to think that Jesus is kind of enjoying this. Not not necessarily enjoying this, but he could be confused. But I, I think he's probably going, like, touche. Like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I'm impressed right now by you guys. Like, I think he's sitting there like, sitting at the roof, like, what? Well, I, I mean, because I don't know how quick it happens. But, they, I mean, they have to dig it out and they have to pull this guy down. You know it's making a ruckus. You know he's probably trying to teach him at some point just watching this guy. Lower down in front of him. (laughs) And there's something in this that I don't want us to easily miss. God, I think, really rewards those that risk in his name to experience his power. Someone asked me why why did Jesus have the three, his inner three? He has the sons of thunder and, and Peter. And as I saw something that was common among Jesus' inner three, it wasn't that they were meek and mild. No, they were the ones that they're like, Jesus is a rebellious town. Do you want us to call down fire on it? <laughs> and she's like, no, no, don't do that, guys. Don't do that. All right? Or, or he, he, he whispers a, 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 mirror, like a, a secret to someone, and they're like, hey, Jesus, what did you say to him? They want, like, the inner circle with Jesus. Or it's Peter at the transfiguration. He's like, dude, Jesus, this is awesome. Let's make summer camp here. Let's just stay here all summer. You, Moses, Elijah, and me, let's do this thing. You know, like, these guys think big. They don't think small. These guys want to be and sit in God's power. So this guy, th- th- these guys, they could have come with this man, been like, it, it, most of us or some of us in here would not have seen Jesus that day. Some of us would have come back the next day and said, "It's too, it's too busy. We can't get in. I'm sorry, ma'am." But not these guys. No, these guys, they they go the stairs. They're digging out the roof. We're going to see Jesus today. You want to see Jesus? We're going to see Jesus for you, my man. So they get him down there. Jesus is watching this thing happen. And then we get um, to this moment we're going to come to in just a second. So let's read verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. I have a, a short we're gonna excerpt here for a second. With God's power, I think sometimes that we want to, to, to be the lion and the lamb. Not have the lion and the lamb in our lives, but to be the lion and the lamb. God never asks us to be the lion and the lamb, He asks us to live out of the power. In us, Christ in us as the lion and the lamb. One quote I saw in power said this. And it it, it was that the the believers of God aren't supposed to use God's power. It's not about the believers of God using God's power. It's about God's power using the believers. And and so often we, we start at the beginning seeing the lion and the lamb. He's awesome. He does these great things. All of a sudden, sooner or later, we almost want to become that. And, and I think we need a healthy fear of this. We need to realize that the lion and the lamb is, is, is Jesus Christ. We get to be a part of his body, but he is the one that reigns. And we are never to try and be unlimited, the God of the universe. We are human. We are finite. We are limited. But we have the lion who is able. We have the lamb that is able to do more than we could ever hope or imagine in our lives in the power of his name. Amen? Amen. I'm the youth professor, so I get to do this. I'm going to pull up a Lion King clip here, you know, because um, one of the things I love is Simba's is going through this, this wrestle of power. He sees his father, Mufasa, all right? So we're going to see two clips. And the first one is the respect of just the name Mufasa, all right? And then the second one we're going to see is, is Simba trying to be Mufasa. And we, see, uh, we just see a really cool clip here. We're going to come back in here, but let's take a moment and watch a couple clips in a row. I just hear that name and I shun fuss. Do it again. Move 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 I'm surrounded by idiots. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next one here. Oh. All right, when I was in the last church I was at, I wanted—I was preaching a sermon on the lion and the lamb. And I was determined, if you've been at a, seen a lion at a circus, they're majestic, they're scary. Like, I, I was actually calling around the zoo, can we get a lion into our church? And people were laughing at me, like, Brent, you can't do that. I'm like, no, we can do this. Like, you know, I was risking for Jesus. I was getting a lion in our church. And and I, so I called, they're like, no, I'm sorry, that's not a normal request, but we can't do that for you. And, and so I tried and I tried. I didn't get one. <laughs> but, but, and people, my, my staff laughed at me. They're like, oh, you're saying like, Brent, that's ridiculous. We went to a creative church conference and this guy, he was a mega church guy, but like, he's like, and then we did this whole story of Daniels and Lions, Den, and we had real lions in the church. I was like, see, I told you, you can do it. You can. <laughs> And there is something so small, but it was so big. So often we limit what we can do in church or what God wants to do through us. We're going to see in this story that people limit what Jesus can do in his power because he's human. They say, who is this fellow doing these miracles? We limit Jesus or God in his power and what he can do in our lives because we're not really wanting to risk or or that's just not normal. That's not what you do. A lot of us would not dig on the roof out of social norms to experience God's full power in this story. Let's continue on. We get to Mark 2, 5. When Jesus saw their faith, that that action of them doing that was a part of their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Once again, they're not saying Jesus. They may not know it's Jesus. Maybe they do. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Yahweh or God in his temple. They can say your sins are forgiven. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. Maybe not even saying. And he said, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Is that a trick question? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, uh, I, I I've wrestled with that one a lot because, I mean, I mean, I can say your sins are forgiven. I, I mean, I don't know that I'm the one that's doing that. Um, I don't know that saying get up and walk to a paralyzed man is any easier, but uh, he, seems, he seems to almost be inferring that. We get to the next verse, but I want you to know, why does he do this miracle? Because I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, okay, pause. I'm in New Testament. I get to teach New Testament to some of you. Woo-woo. And for some of you this semester, we've talked about Jesus prophesying. And, and the son of man, there's, there's a reference back to the Old Testament that sometimes we miss. For sure, the son of man was probably alluding to his humanness but it's probably also alluding to Daniel 7, 13, and 14 where it talks about the Son of Man. Let's look there and see what it says. This is important. Jesus talking about the Son of Man. He's referencing back here. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. All right, see, see correlation here. And coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority. Glory and sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion or power is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Is that talking of a guy simply in his humanness? No, that's also referring to someone that is very divine, someone that is worthy of worship. Don't miss when Jesus talks about the Son of Man, that there is a subtle proclamation underneath that at times of who he is as God, not just as man. And so we come back to this story, and then we get to the very next thing. Verse 11 says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Okay, I don't know how this works, but once again, we, we saw the realistic moment of Jesus, like, watching this guy come in, and then he's like, your sins are forgiven. Like, that's weird. I mean, first, he doesn't even say anything about him being paralyzed. He might have been like, it might have just been a knowing, like, well done. You know, I might have been like, he might just clap. I might have been like, I don't know. But this has happened. He says, your sins are forgiven. He, he, he just knows. He hears people questioning. He can't do that. He's not God. Like, uh, some fellow, some man can't just say that God's forgiving him his sins right now. He hears them. He's like, which is easier? Which is easier, Matthew? Is it easier for me to say, this guys, sins are forgiven? Or to say, just get up and walk? But just so you know, Jason Parker, as I was asking this question, he said, Brent, The miracle validates the message, was his words. The miracle validates the message. So he says, just so you know that I'm not just a man, but that the son of man can actually forgive sins, get up and walk. And this guy gets up and walk. I don't know know if that's like one of those healings that's more modern day where it's like it takes time. Or if that's like him jumping up, like I don't know if he's like walking, like you learn how to walk for the first time or if that's like him like jumping and skipping. But I'm telling you, if everyone's celebrating that as he's getting up and picking up his mat, I don't think he's walking out like this. Well maybe he isn't shot, but I'm guessing that if he's if his feet are going for the first time, he's like, ooh, ooh, you know, I'm guessing like I can jump, you know, he's I can do stuff. I'm sure people are going, why? Like this is this is a crazy moment. People are like, this doesn't happen. And then in this moment as he's doing this, and he I, I would love to have been with him on his walk home. I would love to have been with him on a celebrating the walk home and talking through that and his friends as Jesus does his miracle. But if I had one thing I really struggled with in this message, it was this. When people experience God's power, I wanted to say every time they leave changed. But I was reminded of verses. There's Elijah. And he, he calls down from heaven. He's like, God, if you were God, prove it to this day. And fire comes down from heaven. And he, he, he's just, he, he just shows that God is all that he is. And then we see not too long later, he's curled up in a ball on the side of the road saying, take my life, I'm alone. Or you have people see Jesus literally rising up in heaven, his ascension, and then it says somewhere in this, in this powerful moment, but some still doubt it. Or you have people at the Red Sea literally see God and his power split the Red Sea. And then less than a chapter later, they're like, it would have been better off in Egypt. (laughs) They experience God's power and they're complaining, wanting to go back to Egypt. Shouldn't God's power just forever change your mindset and just make it to where it's all bad? And I really wrestled through this. And I came out to the thought I told you at the beginning. When you experience God's power... You either re proclaim who he is as God and know that he is able, or you still leave doubting. Which one are you? How many of you right now will believe? That God could heal, actually heal. Not just believe it, but trust that God will or can heal a paralyzed person in your life right now. Because not only does do the apostles, not just Jesus, the apostles afterwards heal a paralyzed man. The apostles raised someone from the dead. They seem to have the power of Jesus in them. Not just Jesus, the humans after Jesus that are his apostles. And if I were to take that one step further, this is probably my word for you today. I feel like God really wanted me to say this this morning. The power or the the, the expectation of what you expect God's power to heal a paralyzed man is the expectation of how you expect God to heal the paralyzed parts of your life. If you, if you only kind of expect God to heal a paralyzed man in front of you, there's areas where you're stuck and you're only going to half expect him to really be able to, to, to tell you in the midst of your sins, whether it's the things in the past, whether it's the effect of your parents being alcoholic or abusive, you're only going to believe that even though he's forgiven your sins, you're only going to half believe that he could actually tell you, get up, walk, and go home free from that place. And there's some of you here that know that he can forgive sins, but you don't trust that he has power and victory over the effects of sin, and that he can have you walk up a new person from the areas that you have feel a sense of paralysis in your life. But he wants to do that for you today. But it's awkward. It's, it's, it's stepping out just a little bit, but it's not a half step, because it's so easy. I, when, with all of God's miracles, he leaves at least a little room for reasonable doubt, can a guy really raise up into heaven? Was that really Jesus? I mean, I saw the Red Sea, but can he really get us through this desert? Is this desert really even better? We get so distracted so easily. My parents sent me a thing. Um, everyone here, please tell me you know who Billy Graham is. Billy Graham, a strong evangelist. There's a story, I'm going to read it to you. But I had, had a guy with him, a contemporary named Charles Templeton that was an evangelist at the same time. And what we find with Charles Templeton is that um, we're going to hear the story, but Billy Graham ends up being a continual Christian preacher evangelist. Charles Templeton ends his life an agnostic atheist, not believing in God. Let's read how the story happens. Here's an excerpt from that book about a pivotal conversation let me make sure I'm in the right place here. He had with Billy Graham, so Charles Templeton, as he was leaving the faith. The context is his desire to go to Princeton to study the Christian faith more critically. He wanted Graham to come with him. Please keep in mind that and it, this is the count of Charles Templeton, Charles Templeton. He doesn't want to misrepresent Billy Graham because Charles Templeton is talking this conversation through. All our differences came to a head in a discussion which, better than anything I know, explains Billy Graham and his phenomenal success as an evangelist. In the course of our conversation, I said, but Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. The world was not created over a period of days, a few thousand years ago. It has evolved over millions of years. It's not a matter of speculation. It's a demonstrable fact. I don't accept that, Billy Graham said. And there are reputable scholars who don't. Who are these scholars, I said? Men in conservative Christian colleges? Most of them, yes, he said. But that is not the point. I believe the Genesis account of creation because it's in the Bible. I've discovered something in ministry. When I talk about the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and say God says or the Bible says the Holy Spirit uses me, there are results Wiser men than you or I have been arguing questions like this for centuries. I don't have the time or the intellect to examine all sides of the theological dispute. So I've decided once for all to stop questioning and accept the Bible as God's word. But Billy, I protested. You cannot do that. You don't dare to stop thinking about the most important question in life. Do it and you begin to die. It's intellectual suicide. I don't know about anyone else, Billy said. But I've decided that that's the path for me. It's one side, it's Charles Templeton, but there's something to Billy Graham's thing here. There's moments where God's powers, the supernatural, is kind of awkward. But we have to trust in who God is. And I'm not saying negate the biblical evidence, but I'm saying there's something that here, that Charles Templeton goes the other way and never can really, he he still doubts, even though he's been an evangelist and he's seen people come to God. The last thing, the whole reason I actually brought this, which I actually um, missed this point, was simply this. Who, like which miracle, which miracle is more powerful? God raises Lazarus from the dead, but from the best to our knowledge, he still dies. God can heal you from sickness, but you can still get sick again. But God when he forgives your sins, leaves you eternally changed. The most important miracle of God and his power is that he forgives our sins, that he died on the cross and rose again and that we get to live with him, that we can become Christ-like is the greatest miracle and power of all. And for some of you that say, we don't need more churches. We have some guys that are church planning here. Some of you, like, we have too many churches Please, I I, I almost want to even rebuke you right now and say this. Forgiveness of sins happens in churches and especially church plants that go out and reach communities for the gospel. And we need more miracles like that. And we need more church planners and people to experience the forgiveness and the power of God. To say, not only can I forgive you of sins, but you can live in the victory. Get up and walk. You are no longer paralyzed in Jesus' name. So everyone stand up with me. We're going to have the band come up and we're going to sing, sing our awesome God. We're going to go old school. Our God is an awesome God who reigns with wisdom, power, and love. Some of you have some things in your life that you don't think, you don't think God can overcome or you can really overcome. You've prayed about in the past, and I don't know if today is the day, but I do know that you can't stop in the awkward moment of not stepping out to experience God Possibly today, saying once and for all, get up and walk from that. Be, be free from that, that paralysis, that addiction in your life. God has victory over even those things today. So once again, I want everyone to step back in your pew, to the edge of your pew. We're going to sing the song, or your seat there. We're going to go ahead and start playing and singing for us. Um, we're going to sing Awesome God. If you need to, the altar is open. But if you just need to step forward and say, God, I know I, I haven't trusted you with this. I haven't, I've still been doubting. Your power to overcome this. And you need to step forward, do that. If you need to come forward, do that too. But we're just going to play the song through and close out. But if you need to take a, a visible stance, God, I know you forgive my sins, but I'm not living in the victory and the power that you can overcome not only physical paralysis, but the spiritual paralysis in my life in different areas. Do that right now. In Jesus' name.